following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. As you can see on the screen, our text this morning is uh, verses 3 through 8. And uh, we'll read that here in a second, but... Um, of course, this is Veterans Day weekend, so I actually have a, a, a military opening illustration here today. So, uh, last week I was uh, listening to uh, Albert Moeller's podcast, listened to it pretty often, and, and he was talking about uh, just a fascinating issue with, with the United States Army, and, and that is that uh, the United States Army is struggling to recruit enough people, and that's true of most of the branches. I think that he said all of them except the Marines, and so specifically... You know, the army has, has always called people uh, to, to, to join something bigger than yourself, right? Be part of a cause. Give yourself to something that matters. Be part of a team. But that message is not working with Gen Z youth who've been raised and told their whole lives that everything's all about you. You know, be your own person, do your own thing, go your own way. And so, if that's what you've been told, that's the gospel of your life, then... Well, joining the military doesn't sound all that attractive. And so the army decided, well, hey, we've got to change this up. We, we've got to lean into uh, this, this new uh, zeal and passion of young people. And so, so they started this new ad campaign. And, and the first ad in this campaign begins with a soldier looking into the camera. And he says, uh, he says in the camera, uh, the might of the U.S. Army doesn't lie in numbers. It lies in me. I am an army of one. Now, predictably, that ad campaign has fallen absolutely flat. Because everyone knows it's baloney. You don't join the army to be your own person or to do your own thing. There's no room for self-expression, being your own person in the army. You get in line or you get out of the way. But, But as well, as much as the world tries to push individualism, the truth remains that God made every one of us for community. People want to belong. They need to belong, and they want to be a part of a purpose that is bigger than themselves. And today's passage teaches that God specifically made Christians for the Christian community, the church. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Paul says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. Or he who gives with liberality. Or he who leads with diligence. Or he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, now we live, again, we live in a culture of rogue individualism. And the world preaches that you are awesome. 
and that everything is awesome, and that you don't need anyone. But the God who knows you best, the God who made you, has a simple message for you in this passage. You need the church, and the church needs you. You need the church, and the church needs you. And that's a great challenge, especially for us in a day when when we're planning to vote several people into membership. So, So to get to that point, God first challenges you in this passage that that you need to admit your need for the church. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? But but pride has deep roots in every one of us. And if you let the Spirit search your heart this morning, I think you'll find that there's more individualism, more rogue individualism in your heart than you probably care to admit. So, So notice, again, the beginning of our text. Paul says... Through the grace given to me, to everyone among you. So there's no exceptions. You're not the one that that this passage isn't for you. No, he says to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, now he's, of course, forbidding pride here, but he's specifically forbidding pride and forbidding a wrong attitude about my place within the church. That's clear from the context. And that was probably on Paul's mind because Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. I kind of wonder if Paul just returned from one of those really frustrating meetings with some of the, the punks at the Corinthian church when he began to write Romans chapter 12. And so you might know the story that, that, that many of the people at the Corinthian church, they were in love with their own greatness. They walked into church every Sunday like they were God's gift to humanity. And they flaunted their spiritual gifts, their knowledge, and their wealth. And they were so blinded by their pride that they were doing things that were absurd and they didn't see any problem. You know, the one that stands out is is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That they're they're going to the Lord's Supper and they they didn't have a church building like this, so they go to someone's house to observe the Lord's Supper. And the rich people... They, before they observed the Lord's Supper, they would sit in one room and have a meal and a feast. And it was only allowed for the rich people. The poor people were locked into the room next to it. And they didn't see any problem with that. And they were so stuck on themselves. But, but here's the problem with that thinking. Those rich, gifted, blessed Christians, they needed the poor members of the church. And notice that that verse 3 ends by saying that God has allotted to each person, specifically there in the church, He has allotted to each person a measure of faith. Now, in context, Paul there, when he talks about a measure of faith, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And his point is, is that no Christian has every spiritual gift. Now, Now, we all have a measure of faith. Every Christian is gifted of God to serve. But we only have a measure. So God made you necessarily dependent on brothers and sisters in Christ. And God is telling you that you need the local church. It doesn't matter how mature you are. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or how gifted you are, or how successful you are. God says that you need every member of the church. 
Now, you, ha- you have spiritual blind spots. And you need people to come alongside you at times and, and help you see those blind spots. Now, there's times you're going to get discouraged, worn down, and you need someone to come alongside you and lift you up. You know, there's times you're going to get a little bit spiritually lazy and you need someone to give you a kick in the seat. And, and no matter how gifted you might be, you are not sufficient to fulfill the Great Commission by yourself. Now, now I've seen a lot of Christians try, right? Like, you know, there, there's Christians that, you know, maybe they just want to, they don't really want to be a part of church, so they just kind of do church at home. Or, or, or they just, you know, launch out on, the, on their own and do their own ministry apart from God's people. And I've seen a lot of people try to do those things. But I've never seen someone cut off from the church who effectively multiplies mature disciples of Jesus. And that shouldn't be surprising because none of us are sufficient for the task. God only gave us a measure of faith. So so God commands you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So how do you see yourself in relationship to the other members of our church? Be honest. Do you believe that you need them? And not just some of them, but but all of them. Now, now, you might be more mature than other people in this room. You might be more spiritually gifted than other people in this room. But, But don't think that you are sufficient. You need God's people. And the proof of of what you believe is how you live. You know, so, so if being with the church is not a first priority in your life, a first priority, well, then you can say all that you want that, yeah, I know I need the church. But, but you don't. You don't believe it. You know, if you're quick to get annoyed and avoid people, you know, jump from this person to that person because you don't want to be irritated, then you don't believe that you need those people. You know, if you never ask a brother for prayer, you never open up about a spiritual struggle, you just keep everything locked up inside you, then then you don't understand how spiritually dependent God made you to be. Now, you might have some crafty excuses, but but just call it what it is. There's so many Christians, when you really look at how they live, they think that they are above practically depending on God's people for their spiritual health. They think they can do it on their own. So so what is the solution? Well, Paul urges you to think so as to have sound judgment. So so in other words, what what he's saying there is is that you need to see things the way God does. You need to let the Scriptures correct your thinking. And so understand, you know, don't go off just off of what you feel. Don't go off what the culture tells you about what is true. Go off of God's Word. So, so understand that God only gave you a measure of faith. God made you a dependent person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 expresses this so well. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That's nonsense, right? For the head to say, I don't need the feet. Is it just going to roll around? Of course not. 
On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which, we, which, which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, now think on that word necessary for a moment. So, so again, maybe you're a mature Christian and, and you have significant spiritual gifts and, and you would say that by the grace of God you don't have any major spiritual struggles. And so you could be tempted to think, that that immature, weak believer has nothing to give you. Nothing to offer you in your Christian life. You look down on him. You get annoyed and irritated by him and his struggles. And you're tempted to think that he has nothing to give you. And so, but, but what you need to understand is that God put that person in the church because he is necessary to your spiritual health. I mean, that's what he says, right? That person is necessary for your spiritual health. And, and so you need them. They are vital to your growth. They are vital to the continued ministry of our church. Now, I've certainly seen that in my life. And it refreshes my soul to be around new believers. And I think it's refreshing for all of us. You know, to, that, that if you've been saved for years, at some point you start to, you can easily begin to Take for granted what God has done in your life, and, and it's a blessing to be around new Christians, immature believers who are learning to grow. You know, it's good for me to be around Christians who, who are fighting and struggling to overcome you know, besetting sin habits. See them trusting in the grace of God and fighting for grace and, 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 and needing to depend on the Lord. You know, new believers are, are generally much better evangelists than people who've been saved for years as well. Because they're, they're excited about what God has done in their life. And, and as well, they, they generally have a lot more a good context for the gospel than, than, than Christians who've been saved for years. So, so we need the other members of the body. And you need to admit your need for the whole church. Now, don't, don't have a snotty, entitled attitude towards parts of God's body. Now, don't think it's your job to be the Holy Spirit for everyone around you. Don't be easily annoyed and irritated and impatient. No, you should come to church every Sunday as a beggar. As a beggar, hungry to be fed, hungry to grow, hungry to lean on the people that God has put in your life through the church. So pursue everyone. Longing to receive and learn. So, so the first challenge of our passage is admit your need. And then God's second command is love the church. Love the church. Let's read verses 4 and 5 again. God says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Now, now those are great verses for, for our day in which we live. Because a lot of Christians, we live in, a, as I said, an individualistic world, and a lot of Christians go to church with a very individualistic mindset. So they go to church essentially as spectators. They're here at church, and, and they're here to, to watch an event, to, to have an experience of God, to see a spectacle almost. But, but God says... That when we gather as a church, we gather as an interdependent family. Church is not just something you go to and watch. 
We are a body. We are interdependent. I mean, he says there that we are members one of another. Isn't that that just an incredible statement? But but to really appreciate that, we, we we have to accept two challenges. And the first is we must embrace the church's diversity. Now, just like a physical body has different parts, God says that the various parts of the church have different functions. And we get that, right? That you look around this room and, and there are people in this room with different backgrounds, different personalities, different perspectives, different strengths, different weaknesses. And, and especially, what he really wants to emphasize in context is that we have different spiritual gifts. Different abilities to contribute to the church's health. Now that's great, right? It's great that we have different strengths. But the truth is, is that differences create friction. Right? You know, the type A who's gifted to lead and and wants to get things done. He gets impatient with the the compassionate, merciful person who who isn't moving quite at the same pace. And, And the merciful person, he is shocked sometimes by the, the directness and, and, and the, the focus of, of the leader. You know, old people and young people just naturally are going to have different priorities and different, different preferences and, and different things that they want to do. And, and on and on we could go. I mean, as many people as there are in this room, there, there are that many different opinions and preferences and so forth. And, and all of that, the closer we get together, then the more friction that just naturally can create. And so what do a lot of Christians do? Well, well, they decide to just kind of keep their distance. I mean, they know they need to show up to church, but, but they're not really going to engage anyone because they don't want the frustration that comes with that. Or, or there's Christians that just say, well, it's a whole lot easier to just stay home and watch some guy on YouTube because they don't have to deal with people. You know, and then I can, I can avoid all the frustration, the pain, the heartache of relationships, and I have complete control of my situation. But God says that that is wrong. You need the diversity of the church. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. There's no accidents here. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. That, that body imagery is, is a tremendous illustration, right? And, and, and our bodies are incredible things. I mean, just think, think, for example, about all the parts of your body that have to work together just for you to sign your name. I mean, signing your name is a relatively simple thing to do, but, but obviously your, your heart's got to keep beating or you're dead. And, uh, and your brain obviously sends signals to your hand. And, and then, I, I mean, I have no idea, but... but I mean, imagine how many muscles and and ligaments and tendons and and all those things work together just for you to sign your name, to do an extremely simple task. There is incredible diversity in your body that works together to do something amazing. And it's the same in the church, folks. I mean, we would be in massive trouble if this whole church was just a bunch of clones of me, we'd be in big trouble, right? I mean, if, if you were all just like me, then, then the decor, for one, would be horrible. 
The programs would be boring and nerdy and no one would enjoy them a bit. And, um, and, and, if, and if you were all just like me, then, then the truth is there's lots of people in our community that we would really struggle to reach because I'm not connected to them or I don't have the, the ability to do that well. I mean, just on and on it goes. I am so glad that I'm not looking at a bunch of people who are just like me. And you should be glad that you're, looking, that you're sitting with a bunch of people who are not just like you. Now, yes, diversity creates challenges. It always does. And meaningful relationships always create friction. When sinners are rubbing up against you, I mean, the more you rub up against sinners, the more friction it's going to create. But you need that. You need that. So embrace it. You know, pursue the person that you naturally avoid. And maybe you're sitting over here because there's someone over there that you don't quite like. Maybe there's someone you see him walking this way, you walk that way. Pursue that person. Because God says, I mean, God says there that he put all of them in the body just as he desired. There's no accidents with who's sitting in this room whom God has put in this church. And, and so you need all of them. So, so embrace them. Love them. Maybe don't embrace them physically. You don't have to do that. But, but love them. Pursue them. Fix broken relationships. You know, get past your annoyances over certain just petty things. And just jump into the life of the church. Be faithful. Get involved. Embrace the diversity of what God is doing. And then secondly... You need to pursue genuine unity. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 is an incredible verse. It says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So so that verse says that that life point is one body in Christ. Right? So, So Christ is what draws us together. And that's really important to remember because Because we might share lots of other common interests and have other commonalities. But but always remember that that unity that is built on personalities and worldly interests. It's easy, right? It's easy to build unity. I mean, we could could be the cowboy church. We could be the, the, um, I don't know, the Dodger church or the angel church. Or uh, we could be the church of lots of little things that, that would make us all get along much easier. The church of old people, the church of young people. But but understand that unity that is built on anything but Christ is fatally flawed because it's built on shifting sand. So so I would urge you that that when you're thinking about, you you can't be best friends with everyone in this room. It's just not practical. But but when you're thinking about the, the, the relationships that you want to pursue, Don't fundamentally look for the people who dress just like you, who just like the things that you do. Look for people that are going to build you up in Christ. Go after people, you know, build unity on the thing that stands and doesn't change. Go after people who will edify you. Because because when when Christ binds us together, we, we don't just coexist. Sit in the same room, watch me talk, we become members one of another. Now, that is a, a powerful unity that, that creates incredible strength. 
You know, just to illustrate that, you know, you know I, I grew up on a farm in, in, in Illinois, and, and when I grew up on the farm, you know, sometimes we would get a tractor stuck, and uh, that happened actually quite often, and, but usually we'd get tractor stuck, and you could just hook a chain on the tractor, pull it out of the mud, and, and, and life was good to go, but, but sometimes we would really, really bury something in the mud. And so we'd hook a chain on the tractor, begin to pull, and pop. You know, chain, chain link breaks, and, and, and we can't get it out. Well, well, when we really got stuck, and when we began to break chain links, we would typically go over. Our neighbor had this really long cable that we would borrow. And I remember as a kid being fascinated by this cable because it was way lighter, way lighter than the chain, but actually way longer, and yet still far, far stronger. And so we broke a lot of chains over the year because over the years because what? A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. But we never broke that cable because a cable is made of lots of individually small and very weak wires that are that are bound together in a complex web so that they equally share the load. And together it creates incredible strength. And that's how I picture the idea here that we are members one of another. You know, again, we don't just sit in the same room once a week. No, no, God wants us to be woven together like a cable. And if that's going to be true, then we've got to engage each other, right? We can't just sit here and quietly and never talk to each other. I mean, if we're really going to live verse 5, we've got to care for each other. You've got to build strong relationships. You've got to get past just niceties. How you doing? How's the weather? What'd you do this week? That, that's not being members one of another. We've got to move past that. You've got to be open about your needs. Be willing to share what God is doing in your life and where you're struggling. You've got to be willing to support people. Get under their loads with them, even when it's hard, even when it's not what you want to do. And especially, we've got to work together to make disciples. And why is that? It's because we are all much stronger and more effective together than we ever will be separately. And not only that, you are far safer from Satan's attacks. If you are connected to the body of Christ, than you ever will be trying to fight Satan on your own. An illustration of this, a while back I was watching a nature documentary and, and they were talking about small little fish in the ocean like, like herring or anchovies and things like that. And of course, if, if a herring comes across a sea lion on its own, the, the herring is done for, right? It's an itty-bitty fish. That sea lion's going to eat him up right away and he's gone. So, so what do they do? Well, the herring, they get together in these huge schools. Sometimes up to a billion of them will all be together in this school of fish. And then when the sea lion or, or the dolphin or whatever comes after them, they, they move together. And when they move together, it confuses the predator and the predator can't catch them. The only way that the predator can catch those little fish is if it can get it alone. If it can break up the school and, and scatter the fish. You know, sadly, a lot of Christians are trying to swim alone. They're trying to swim alone. Now, you might sit in this room, but still be trying to swim alone. I mean, no one in this room has any idea what's really going on in your life. No one really knows the burdens you bear, 
You don't give anyone that opportunity. You refuse to let people in. Now, now you might say, well, well Pastor, I'm a, I'm a private person. I'm a private person. But the truth is, is that very likely you're a proud person. And you don't want anyone to really know what's going on. Or it might be that you're saying, well, well, I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid of getting embarrassed if anyone really knows what's going on. You know, but, but here's just a simple question. I mean, who should you be more afraid of? The other herring or a sea lion? Right? The other fish, the other Christians are not what you need to be afraid of. What you need to be afraid of is the attacks of Satan, the world, and flesh. So, so, so lean on God's people. You need the church. And, and as well, you will make a far greater impact for Christ working with the body of Christ than you ever will on your own. Now you, you, can, you can be out doing all sorts of stuff, but, but your discipleship will leave holes that others can plug. And, and praise God that God has put people all around you who can help plug those holes. That's great. So, so love the church. And I'd urge you as well, love the church that God has put in your life today. Today. You know, I, I think, I mean, just, you know, practically speaking, I mean, our church has endured a lot of transition over the last few years. And, and we've had a lot of significant people, important people who, who've moved out of state. And, and I know that, that, that some of you have been around for a while, you struggle with missing those people and, and missing the old days. And I would just say to you that nostalgia is a cancer. Nostalgia is a cancer that will kill your soul. And it will kill a church. You need to be where God has put you today. With the people that God has put in your life right now. So, so love the, the new life. Love the opportunities that God has put right in front of you. Now, don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Be where God has you right now. Love the people and lean on the people that God has put in your life. Now, some of you need to join the church. Some of you need to commit to the body. Now, others need to jump into a ministry. Now, some of you just need to make a conscious choice to move toward the center. To not just kind of hang out on the edges but to really engage in the church. So, so come to more events. Come to more church services. Stop making excuses about hanging out on the edges of the body and, and truly practice what God is saying here about being members one of another. Of really leaning on each other. So Christian, love the church. It is a beautiful design. A wonderful thing. And we're going to spend all of eternity gathered around the throne of God, worshiping with people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The church is not built around making a bunch of clones. The church is built around the fact that God binds people together in love in a unique way and power based on diversity. So don't bristle against that. Love it. I mean, we have different functions, but we are one body in Christ. That's incredible. So praise God for that. So, so love the church. And then the third major command in our text is to serve in the church. So let's read verses 6 through 8 again. It says, 
Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we don't have time this morning to, to fully unpack everything that's going on in these verses. So, so instead, I'd like to highlight two important principles here. And the first is, is that God gave you a role. Assuming you're born again, assuming you're in Christ, God has given you a role. I mean, God says in verse 6 that He has given every believer a different grace. Now, based on what follows, what he means by a different grace there is a different gift, a different capacity to serve and contribute to the overall health of the church. So God has given you, if you are a Christian, God has given you a unique and a vital role in the health of the church's mission. Now, now you might think, well, well, Pastor, I'm the exception. But I've got nothing to contribute. I'm not smart. I'm not talented. I don't know the Bible. I've got problems. So, so, so the church really would be better off if I just kind of disappeared. But that's not what God says. And again, verse 3 is very clear that this passage is addressed to every Christian, to everyone among you. If you are saved, God has given you a measure of faith to use for the edification of the church. You have a necessary role. And again, that, that's really important because you know, I've talked to Christians before who, you know, they're, they're very happy just staying at home on Sundays and watching Charles Stanley or whoever else they like on TV. You know, they, they like this guy, so they just stay at home and they feel like they're doing well spiritually and they don't really need the church. Or, or there's other people, you know, I mean, they'll show up on Sunday because they know that, I mean, kind of the Bible's pretty clear about that one, but, but they'll show up on Sunday, but they really don't want to get involved. They, they just kind of keep their distance. And it's not because they can't. It's because they think that they are just fine spiritually without really leaning on God's people and serving with God's people. Now, the New Testament denies that. We, we just saw that. You are not fine on your own. But even if you could thrive spiritually without the church, even if you are you know, 100% healthy, growing on fire for Jesus, watching Charles Stanley at home on TV, and God says... That if you are not serving in the church, there is a major hole in your discipleship. Why? Because when God saves you, He gives you a gift. And He commands you to fulfill that role in the body of Christ. So, so if you're not serving with the church, you're not contributing to the health of the body, God says... You are, not, there, you are not obeying Him. There is a hole in your discipleship. Now, I recognize, again, you know, that, that, that people have physical limitations. Some people have job issues. And, and there's, there's legitimate, valid reasons why, why some people can't be at church and can't do what they want to do. I, I know there's some seniors in here probably that, that you are frustrated that you can't do the things that you once were able to do. And I, we recognize that. We understand that. We want to be sensitive to that. 
So, so I'm not saying that everyone who's watching the service on YouTube right now is in sin or doing something wrong. I, I know that hopefully all of those people wish they could be here. So, so we understand that. And, 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 and so you can't fight the providence of God, right? You have to trust the providence of God. And we understand that. But God gave, it still is true that God gave every Christian a gift to use for the advance of his mission. And verses 6 through 8 command you to use that gift. So, so you can't just pick the parts of God's word that you like to obey. You need to obey all of it. And God is commanding you in this passage to, to identify how, how the role that God wants you to fulfill and to fulfill it. So, so with that in mind, fulfill your role enthusiastically. Now, now verses 6 through 8 uh, here give us a, a list of spiritual gifts. And, and they tell us about how we are to practice them. And I think it's worth just noting here that, that there are several other of these lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And none of them are exhaustive and, and none of them are, are the same. So, so the point is, when, when Paul gives these lists here and in 1 Corinthians 12, I think a couple other places, none of them are, are exhaustive. They're just simply giving you an illustration of the various ways that God has called His people to, to contribute to the edification of the body. I love how simply 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 describes the, the, how we should think about our spiritual gifts. So God says, to each one, all right, which in context means everyone who is saved. So if you're a Christian, this applies to you. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, which in 1 Corinthians 12 is a spiritual gift. It's, a, it's an ability to contribute to the health of the body. And why did He give it to you? Did He give it to you so you could stick your chest out? So that you could get to do the really cool things in the church and other people could you know, do the things that you don't want to do? No, He gave you that gift for the common good. To build up the body of Christ. So, so you need to find out what your gift is and, and how you can use it for the edification of our church. Now, if you need help with that, if you're like, you know, Pastor, I want to be involved, I want to serve, I want to make a difference, but I have no idea where I can do that. Well, we would love to have that conversation with you. Love to have that conversation with you. And, 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 and the, because, because understand that the church is not a spectator sport. Church is not like going to a basketball game where you sit there and watch. I mean, we are an interdependent family. So don't be content on the sidelines. Because the people need you. The people around you need you. They need you. And so if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're not just harming yourself. You are holding back the edification of the whole church. You are, you are not helping someone get where God wants them to go because you're sitting back and not doing what God calls you to do, using the gifts that God has given. We are an interdependent family. So, 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 so get involved. Serve. Our church needs you. And our community, if we're going to reach our community for Christ, we need to be as healthy and strong and vibrant and fruitful as possible. And then fulfill your role enthusiastically. And notice the, the three adverbs in verse 8. 
Because really, the, the same zeal applies uh, to, to all these. So, so he says there in verse 8, in the middle, he says, he who gives, you know, don't give ah, the bare minimum. He says, give liberally. He says, um, he says, he who leads, lead with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And I think you can apply those adverbs to, to all the other gifts here and, and every other gift in the New Testament. That, that don't just do the minimum. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't just go through the motions. God says serve liberally, diligently, and cheerfully. Why? Because the church needs you. Because it's a privilege to serve Jesus. So folks, the challenge of this passage is very simple. The church needs you. And you need the church. So let's get really practical here for a moment. And some of you need to become members of the church. You need to stop sitting on the sidelines, afraid of, of, of really committing yourself to the body and what that could mean. And you need to commit to the body of Christ. You know, some of you need to start giving more generously and sacrificially. And God has blessed you. Instead of spending it on yourself, you need to invest in the work of the Great Commission. Some of you need to start attending more services and activities. Stop sitting on the sidelines. You know, some of you need to open up your home and you know, get some people into your house and so you can start building relationships and, and having significant conversation. You know, some of you, 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 you know that guy over there and you think, man, I can tell he's having a hard time. And you just need to reach out. Start a conversation. Ask a couple questions. Share burdens. You know, some of you need to make yourself a little bit vulnerable. Instead of being a, you know, a fortress of privacy. Give yourself to someone else. I challenge all of you to ask the Spirit to direct you. Maybe ask a brother or sister in Christ, where am I deficient? What needs to change? And then by the grace of God, respond. Obey God. Do what He has called you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text and for the challenge it gives. God, we pray that by Your grace, we would be faithful, that we would be diligent, that we would serve cheerfully and liberally and diligently. God, thank You for our church. Thank You for the unity that we enjoy. Thank You for all the good work that You are doing for all of our servants. Strengthen us to go forward. And God, I pray that, that more and more people would, would jump in and serve and commit themselves to, to the work that you want to do in their lives. And God, make us effective. Use us to make a powerful impact for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.